So tonight we are going to be talking about, um, and we're going to be kicking off this section of the dating series that we're, we've titled Biblical Guidelines for Dating God's Way. And so just to do a little bit of review so that way we can all be up on the same page with all this, we've been showing you guys this picture every single week. Uh, somebody give me a quick snapshot, give me a quick rundown. We've done this enough, you guys should know it like the back of your hand. Yeah. Right. And triangles, so as you get, you need to be like on the same page and wanting to get closer to God. And as the closer you get to God, the closer you are to each other. Yeah. And if you're not, then the triangle is not a triangle and your father is not. Right. Okay, good. Anyone want to add anything? You want to add something to it? If you're both like going, well, it should pretty much cover it. If you're both yeah. like, living for the same thing, there's not like conflict and you can't like yeah. pull apart. Yeah. Because you either like fall on one side. Exactly. So if you find yourself in a relationship with someone who has no interest in God whatsoever, and that is your desire, then what has to occur? Either you have to fall, compromise. You got to compromise your faith or, or they're out, right? They got, they got it. They got to be eliminated from your life as far as that relationship goes. I mean, that's the only two ways you can really go about this. And so, um, and there's a lot of people that have, frankly, they've convinced themselves that they're okay with God. You know, at the same time, they could be, like the Bible talks about, dating someone who's lost, uh, when really that's not what the Bible talks about at all. It's impossible to be intimately connected with another individual uh, who doesn't have the same things in common. Like, it, it just can't work. Eventually, at some point the relationship will have to either change or end. Like that's the only way it's going to work out. And it will either change you or you might have the opportunity to change that person. But we really don't recommend missionary dating uh, because that really doesn't work. Um, And there have been rare exceptions where it has worked. But even then, they have tons of baggage and they have tons of difficulties that they've worked through. And and if you're interested in getting their testimony, I can definitely hook you up with some of those folks. Um, but I know the pains that I've gone through personally and the poor decisions that I've made in that regard have just not, not gone well. So we wanted to introduce this picture every single week. And then we've got our wonderful picture that we've talked about how it is, you know, explosively intelligent. And it really goes beyond almost comprehension where you have, you still don't get it. You still, I mean, so the dating, when you date somebody that, it, that eventually will lead to engagement and then engagement will eventually lead to marriage. Like that's. That's, I know, it's like, it's a mind blower, but so, but the thing about it is, and the reason why I bring this back up again, is that most, most students in your guys' generation do not date based upon, I think this is someone I could marry. Most don't. They're not even thinking in that realm, which is completely false, because you should be thinking that way. And, and I've given you some uh, plenty of examples and some other things to think about that we have uh, we discussed in past weeks. So you can check out those past podcasts to get caught up on all that. Um, but really, you know, why waste your time and your emotional investment in a person if you don't believe that they could be someone that you could end up with for the rest of your life? It's just very expensive currency. And I've had my heart broken. Anybody else have that experience? It's very expensive. It hurts real bad. And so you need to be wise about this kind of stuff. You don't enter into a commitment lightly. Uh, and, and this is something that you have to consider if you want to do things God's way. Okay. And so then we introduce this. And this is why your triangle in your guys' paper. We have the little blue box around the spiritual. Uh, because really the way that the world looks at relationships is they always see the physical first. 
So they're attracted on the physical level first for the most part, with some exceptions to that. But that's really what attracts people first. And then they get to know each other on an emotional level. Uh, do they have the same likes and dislikes? Are they compatible with their personalities? And do they have a lot in common? Can, do they get along and all that? And then eventually over time, if they ever get around to it, then they discuss the spiritual level of things. And so that's how the world always approaches relationships. Whereas God's way is the exact opposite, because God's way is always opposite from the world's way, where God wants you to focus on the spiritual first. He wants you to realize that first, because that is the most important thing that you can have with that other individual. That is the part of that person that will never fail you, ever, because God doesn't change. And so your intimacy with that person, if it's rooted and grounded on the foundation of a spiritual foundation in Jesus Christ, then it doesn't matter how much you change on an emotional level with likes and dislikes and interests and compatibility. Those things don't matter because people do change over time. The emotional makeup of a person does change over time. And most certainly, the physical side of people change over time. And so the person that you were once attracted to physically may change and are they still going to be attracted to that person physically? So your connection with another person cannot be based on anything physical. It cannot be based on anything emotional because those two things change in each person over time. It has to be based on the spiritual. So as you are walking with God and as they are walking with God and you are committed to that to each other, then you can have the fundamentals of a relationship that will last for the rest of your life. Okay, so based on that then, we've got to talk about the spiritual. And so tonight we're going to spend all of our time talking about what does it mean to have a good spiritual foundation and what do you need to do personally to be ready to date on a spiritual level. And so a lot of this is going to be very introspective. It's going to be looking at the mirror of God's word and looking and evaluating your own life and just seeing, am I truly ready to date somebody based upon my own personal spiritual foundation? Okay, so let's get this paragraph. If we are willing to believe God's word above our own understanding and purpose in our hearts to follow biblical wisdom over worldly wisdom, then we must be willing to establish biblical guidelines that will help keep us accountable. The questions contained in the following sections, uh, which start with the spiritual one, are meant to be answered honestly so that you can evaluate where you are and what you need to do to be ready to pursue the Lord in the worldly gray areas of dating. Because unfortunately, you know, the, the pattern of dating that you have before you, it is what it is. I mean, you're not going to really be able to change that. But you can change your perspective. You can change your approach. And you can change what you're looking for. And, um, and so it's very, very important. Don't fall in line with everybody else. Do what God wants you to do. And there's some definite spiritual parameters that we can learn from some of this stuff. Okay, so let's talk about the first one. Let's talk about this foundation. Let's talk about this spiritual foundation. So the first question that you need to ask yourself is this. Am I in the center of God's will? So could you honestly, like if God were to show up, and could you honestly say, yes, God, I am walking in the center of your will. I am doing everything that you have told me to do. Well, I think the one key to that is, do you even know what the will of the Lord is? Because the Bible is very clear on what the will of the Lord is. In fact, there's seven wills of God found in the Bible. And before we get to those ones, I just want to use this example here in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And I want to use this as the mindset to get into the seven wills of God. So 2 Samuel chapter 11. 11. So are you doing what God has called you to do? Are you doing the things that you are responsible for doing? 
So in 2 Samuel chapter 11, who do we got? David. David. So we have King David. And you find out, if you got the headings in your Bible, it says David's sin against Uriah. So you kind of know where this is headed. Give me a quick summary of that story. Um, David saw his wife and he liked her. And Whose wife? Uh, Uriah's. Yes, Uriah's wife. Okay. Uh, and then he um, took her and then killed Uriah. Yeah. Condensed version. Yeah, that is the super condensed version. So David is out on his rooftop, uh, out in the area where he can see other rooftops, and he sees Bathsheba naked, bathing. He lusts after her, tells men to go get her. He has sex with her and then sends her back home. She says, hey, David, I'm pregnant. And he goes, crap, which I'm sure he didn't say that. He'd say the Hebrew of whatever that was. And, um, and so then he's like, man, I am in a load of problems here. I need Uriah. So let's get Uriah and let's try to basically make him sleep with his wife so that way he thinks that she's pregnant with his child. Keep in mind, this is the king of Israel. This is David, the man after God's own heart, by the way. Okay, all right, just make sure we're all on the same page. And then he's like, no, my Lord, why would I go and do that thing? Why would I go home and be at ease when my brethren are out fighting the war? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine, David? Come on, dude, I'm giving you an opportunity to go home and to spend time with your wife and to, and to sleep with her and to enjoy her company because you've been in battle and you won't take it because he's an honorable man. See, when you're an honorable man, you do things that are righteous. So what ends up happening is, is that he wants to go back. And so David's like, fine, go back and I'm going to put you on the front of the worst battle so that way he will die. So he commits murder using the sword of Assyria. I believe it was Assyria at the time. Um, and it ends up basically killing Uriah using the armies of Syria and putting him on the, on the front lines of the battle. And then after that unfolds, Bathsheba then mourns the death of her husband. And then David takes Bathsheba and then marries her. And then she has the child. I mean, this is like a soap opera city, right? So big problem. And you think God's going to let the king of Israel get away with this? Absolutely not. But here's the whole point of why I wanted to bring this up. Look at verse one of chapter 11. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when the kings go forth to battle. And look at the last sentence. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And he just so happened to see Bathsheba. And he just so happens to lust after her, have sex with her, on and on and on, conspiracy, murders one of his valiant men, and tries to cover the whole thing up. So here's the issue. Was David in the center of God's will? No. Absolutely not. Because what was he supposed to be doing? He was supposed to be out of battle. He was supposed to be fighting. He was supposed to be in the work that God had called him to do. And instead of being about the work that God called him to do, what did he do? He stayed at home, put his feet up, and took pleasure in the things that he wanted to take pleasure in. Oh, there just happens to be this naked, beautiful woman, and I really don't care who, whose husband it is. I'm just going to take her, and she's going to be mine. Oh, man, we are so like this as Christians. Rather than being involved in the work that God has called us to do and being faithful in the work that God has called us to do, we are obsessed with self and self-pleasure and self-worship, and then we find ourselves in situations where we're sinning against God and we create a whole mess of failure and just an abomination of God with our life, a mockery of what we're supposed to be doing. So this is a great lesson for us to keep in mind, a great lesson that if you are in the center of God's will, if you're doing what God has called you to do, you don't have time to sin. If you're doing what God has called you to do, you don't have time to mess up. 
Because you're doing what God told you to do. And God will never put you in a position where you will be sinning against him ever, ever. He's not like that. But when we choose to worship self and do the things that we want to do, we're going to get ourselves into loads of trouble. So what are the wills of God? All right, so let's divvy up these verses. Uh, let's just go down the line, one through seven. One, two, three, four, five, two more. Two more readers, come on. Six, did you ever do one yet? No. Okay, seven. All right, so all you guys have those verses. So if you're number one, you got Second Peter 3, 9. If you're number two, you got First Thessalonians Four, three through four. And so everybody else just listen to these verses as we go through them. And I'll just give you a short synopsis. We've done a series on these before going in depth about what the wills of God actually are. Um, but this is a great study. So the first one, the first will of God found in the Bible in the New Testament is am I repentant? So it is God's will that you would be repentant. So whoever has second Peter three, nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us for not willing that any should perish, but, all, but that all should come to repentance. Okay, so God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. What does repentance mean? Yeah. To ask for forgiveness and turn from your... Okay, okay, that, that's kind of the outcome of repentance. But what would be repentance at its core? Anybody? Okay. Okay. Yeah, it starts with that. Go ahead. Like admitting that you're wrong. Okay. I think that's yeah, and that would be an example of it. So it's a change of mind. It's a change of mind. It's I'm wrong, God is right. Whereas before, I was right and God was wrong. So it's having a change of mind. So it could be about your circumstances. So let's just say you have a problem with like lying, okay? A repentant heart attitude is I'm wrong for lying. I am not going to do that anymore. I am now going to speak the truth. That's repentance, okay? So whenever you have a change of mind, change of heart, you no longer do what you did, now you do the opposite. So you have a change of mind, change of heart, and then you end up, so that is God's will. And that's why God says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, our natural state as sinners is to be pretty much damned to hell and to perish, because that's who we are at our very core. And so recognizing, God, you are right, I am a sinner, I need help. I don't want to do what I did any, any longer. I need to change my ways, and I need you to help me. That is repentance, okay? So in its most simple definition, that is repentance. So it is God's will that you would be repentant. So what does this look like? I mean, salvation, for sure. In order to be saved, you have to definitely, there has to be a change of mind because you can't be the one that's in charge. You have to admit that God's right and you're wrong. You need to submit to him and ask for him to save you. But as a Christian, what does repentance look like? I mean, should you be repenting daily? Okay, yeah, absolutely, you should be. So it's constantly living a life knowing I am a sinner and I need help. That's why in the junior high, what was your guys' verse in junior high for those of you that just came up? Colossians 2, 6, and 7. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Rooted and grounded, built in faith, da, 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 da. Okay, but I want to focus on the first part, <laughs> all right? So, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so the same attitude that you had when you got saved, when you were born again, of saying, I am a sinner that needs a Savior, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So, every single day, you should have a mentality, I'm wrong and God's right. And I'm telling you, that alone will save you from so many problems. Because we tend to get ourselves in situations 
where we think we know what's best, and then we make decisions, and then we suffer the consequences. But if you have the mentality, I'm wrong at my very core. I am a sinner. And I can't even, on my own, make good decisions. I need God's help. Well, guess what you're going to be doing? You're going to be searching the scriptures. What does God think about what I'm about to do? And praying, God, I'm, I'm feeling this way, but I don't know if this is right. You're going to be constantly dependent upon God. So God wants you to live the entirety of your life as a repentant person. And there's great safety in there. So, of course, that's the first will of God that exists. The second will of God, am I sanctified? So it is God's will for you to be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 4. Whoever has it, read it. I think that's good. Okay. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Okay, so give me a good definition of sanctification. Okay, to be separate. You want to? Okay, yeah, to set apart. That's really the most simple definition, to set apart. But it's to set apart from something to something. So, for example, um, okay, so I guess this could be it. So, you know, I have... Uh, so I've got my phone here, all right? So this phone that I'm currently recording on, so I'm sorry for those of you that are on the podcast if you hear any rumbling while I'm using my phone. Okay, this phone is, it should be sanctified. This phone should be sanctified unto God's purposes for God's use because it really belongs to him. He actually bought me this phone. So the church bought me this phone and the church is buying the phone plan. So this phone belongs to God. But are there times where I use this phone for my own selfish purposes? Absolutely. And am I wrong in doing that? Sometimes. But I think sometimes God gives me the liberty to do that because, you know, he's not someone who constantly nitpicks me on everything and he wants me to be able to enjoy it. But if I'm using this for sin, absolutely. Absolutely. So knowing that's the case, this belongs to God. So this should be set apart from myself and the things that I want to use it for to the things that God wants to use it for. And the reality is everything you have is actually that way. Because everything belongs to God anyway. Because God gave you the ability to have what you have. So everything really does belong to him. But what especially belongs to him is your body. If you're born again, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And he tells you to use your body for his honor and for his glory. And to use your spirit for his honor and for his glory. But how often do we use our body for our own selfish gain? More often than probably what we're willing to admit. So it is God's will for you to be sanctified. Specifically in that verse, he says to abstain from fornication. So sexual sin. Sexual sin has no place in your body because you belong to the Lord. It's very simple. Anything else that would defile your body should be out of the question because you belong to the Lord. Everyone should know how to possess his vessel. Your body is a vessel in sanctification and honor. Do you know how to do that? Do you know your weaknesses? Do you know your struggles? You should. And if you do, and you live in the will of God, then you will say, God, this body, this body actually belongs to you. And so when I'm not thinking right, I'm sorry, show me when I'm not thinking right. When I'm not doing something that's right, that's dishonoring you, show me that so that way I can actually get that out of my life. That's what it means to be sanctified. Set apart from the world or from your own personal uh, uses for it, and it's set apart unto God. So away from yourself and unto God to be sanctified. So are you sanctified? Can you honestly say that you, the entirety of who you are and your person is set apart for God's uses and whatever he wants you to do? Okay, so that's number two. Number three, Romans 12, 2. 
And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove that with that what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, so repentance and sanctification naturally leads to, hey, you shouldn't be conformed to this world. You see what this world looks like? Yeah, don't conform yourself to it. Now, we're not supposed to be pulled out of the world. Jesus prayed in John 17 that, Father, I don't, I, don't, I don't pray that they would be taken out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil. So that's what we're talking about here. We live in the world, and as we live in the world, it's very tempting to act like the world, to do what the world does, to love the things that the world loves, and to hate the things that the world hates. But over time, that's going to cause some huge conflicts because if you start loving the things that the world loves and hating the things that the world hates, you and God are going to come at a disagreement at some point because the world is the antithesis of God. So if you truly are God's and you belong to God, God will not let you stay in a position where you are conformed to this world. He won't let you do that because you belong to him. And so are you allowing yourself to be too much conformed to this world do you love the world a little bit too much? Or are you in the center of God's will and you are more conformed into the image of Christ, as Romans 8, Romans 8 talks about, rather than being conformed to the image of this world? Number four, 1 Peter 2, 13 through 15. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto men, as unto them that are set by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Okay, so do you obey the authorities in your life? Because God has ordained certain authorities that exist. Uh, just name me a few. What are some authorities in your life right now? Parents. Parents, Teachers. yes. Teachers. Police. Police, the popo. Five oh. What else? The president. The what? The president. The president, yes. Whether you like him or not. Principal. The principal. Upper class, maybe. I wouldn't say they're an authority. <laughs> if they are exercising authority, then we might have some issues. Piastres, yes. All right, <laughs> exactly. Okay, so God has put people of authority over you. And how many of you love all of your authorities and you're just like, yes, I'll do whatever you want? Okay. No, none of us. None of us. Are you kidding me? Your sin nature, your sinful flesh does not like to let someone else have their way over you. It's just, it's just how it is. But the reality is, is that God said it is the will of God. It is my will, God says, that you obey the authorities in your life. That is a tough pill to swallow, especially when you don't want to or you think it's not fair or you don't understand or whatever else. Okay? Here's the reality. Will God honor your obedience? Every time God honors your obedience, even if the circumstance is not necessarily fair from your perspective. What he does not honor is disobedience and disrespect. He does not honor that at all. And you are not justified in having a bad attitude towards the authorities in your life. And it is okay to disagree with the authorities and not have a bad attitude. Take some serious discipline. You and God have got to be on the same page in order for that to happen. But that is totally possible. God didn't say you had to like it. He just said obey. And he honors a good attitude about it. So that's huge. That's massively huge. And then number five. Number five. First Thessalonians 5.18. And everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This one's a simple one. In how many things? All things. Everything. 
everything, all things, no matter what it is. So God tells me that everything that happens, I'm supposed to say, thank you, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, how many of you have gone through that where you're like, how in the world am I going to say thank you to God for this one? Okay. I've gone through lots of heartaches and issues and problems, some of them of my own doing. But when God and I are on the same page, I can honestly say thank you to God because I learned so much out of a heart of humility towards God in whatever circumstance that it is. I don't always have to like it, but it is what it is, and I can always be thankful. Always. Always. Even when things just flat out just suck. And I mean it, because there are some times where things are like, ugh, and it hurts, and it's terrible. And yet, it is what it is. And so even through that, you can say, you know what, God, I just want to thank you. Because through something like this, I can actually learn more about myself, more about you, and how much I appreciate this, and how much I appreciate that. But our tendency is that when bad things happen, you know what we do? It infects our attitude. We start thinking wrongly about everyone and everything else, and it's like poison, and it destroys everything. So it is the will of God for you to live a life of thankfulness, no matter what it is. Number six, Ephesians 6, 5, and 6. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Okay, so doing the will of God from the heart. So having a right heart attitude. And in that passage, there's a really, really good one where he says, servants, obey your master. So there's an authority thing there, but it says very specifically, and that you do what's right even when no one else is looking. When no one else is looking, you still have a good heart attitude and you want to do what's right because you fear God, not that person through which you would get in trouble. And I'm telling you, this can be a huge issue, but it's a great test for us. I mean, right now we're working through stuff with Lucas right now where he's very, very good at being obedient when someone's watching. But when someone is not watching, he tends to misbehave and go psycho. (laughs) And we're trying to really work through him at school. No, you need to do the right thing because it's the right thing regardless of who's looking, because God is always looking. He always sees what's going on. And so it is God's will that you have a good and right heart attitude. And then lastly, Ephesians five fifteen through 17. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Okay, so that you're not wasting time. See, the time that you have given to you by God is a gift, and it's supposed to be spent wisely. And you are not supposed to waste the time that you have. And I have wasted time in my life, but every time I've wasted time and it resulted in nothing, I always feel very empty. I always feel very, very empty. Whether it's a movie that I shouldn't have watched, but I did anyway. Whether it's time spent with someone or doing something that I shouldn't have done because it didn't profit anything. But every time that I have done something where my time has been honorable unto God, it has always been very, very fulfilling. And I've done the things that I know that I'm supposed to be doing. Every time, every time. And you guys know exactly what I'm talking about because you guys go through the exact same things. But it is God's will that you do not waste your time. If you live your entirety of your life and you wasted all of the time that God gave you, there is going to come a day at the judgment seat of Christ where you are going to suffer loss because you didn't do what God wanted you to do with the time that he gave you. So those are the seven wills of God. Hugely important. Why are we talking about that when we're talking about dating? Okay, somebody answer that for me. Why would we talk about this when it comes to dating? Yeah. How do you expect to have a fruitful relationship with someone of the opposite sex 
in doing things correctly and biblically if you're not doing things right between you and the Lord now. Yeah. Isn't authority too, like maybe if they're parents? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And why would someone, like if you have a hard time respecting your own parents, what makes you think you're going to respect their parents? You know? I mean, there's just some logical reasons to this. Anybody else have anything? Those are good ones. So these things are massively important, massively important. And if you're walking in the will of God, then you're going to make good decisions all the way around. Not just with dating, but with everything else. When it comes to your career, when it comes to your schooling, when it comes to everything. I mean, how you spend your money. I mean, everything, everything will be where it's supposed to be. So that is a great first question to ask on the spiritual foundation. Are you in the center of God's will? All right, second question. Am I actively involved and faithful in the work of the Lord? And of course, those two things are evangelism and discipleship. I just preached about this on last Sunday. So if you weren't paying attention, I mean, you can go back and listen to it. Okay. So am I actively involved and faithful in the work of the Lord? Now, why would that be important? Why would that be important? Let's think from the context of dating and being ready on a spiritual level. And if you are saying, no, I'm not active in the work of the Lord, why is it important to evangelize? And why is it important to disciple when it comes to dating? Give me the answer to that one. You guys are smart. I know you've got it. Come on, come on, come on. One sec, go ahead. Because when you get married, your life should be a testimony for God. Like you should be serving other people or serving God like together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if like one of you isn't like walking with God, then, you know, it's kind of hard to glorify God. Yeah. Like evangelist other people. Yeah, good, good. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, so think about it. Just between those two answers for a second. There's a reason why God made the picture of the marriage relationship between a man and a woman and Christ in the church, right? There's a reason why he did that. So you as an individual believer, if you are not invested in God's heart, in God's work, which is evangelism and discipleship, and if you are not doing that, you, that means that you cannot love God properly, Because that's what God loves. That's what he put you here to do. And that's what you're supposed to be doing. So if you are not loving God properly by working for him, then how in the world are you going to be a good husband and a good wife and a good role model of the gospel in your own home? You're not going to be able to. And if that is supposed to be the picture you're supposed to be between the husband and the wife, if you are doing the work of the Lord, guess who you're going to attract? And guess who you're going to be attracted to? Other people that do the work of the Lord. And then you two together can be that powerhouse, like Emily was talking about, getting the work of God done because you're walking in the will of God and you're doing things together and you are going to be the picture of Christ in the church. Because would you not expect Christ to be fruitful? Yes, and he was. He made disciples, he made disciples, he made disciples. Should you not expect the church to be fruitful? Yes. So then why would we expect us to be any different when it comes to our dating relationships and marriage relationships as individual people? We should be very fruitful in the work of the Lord. If you want to have a good, healthy marriage, then you need to start working on being very fruitful in the work of the Lord. Having opportunities to witness to somebody, having opportunities to disciple somebody, being discipled yourself, learning how to walk with God. All those things are super, super important. All right, and then go to uh, Matthew 25. Matthew 25, and we'll take a look at the third question. Matthew 25. I want to look at these two verses here. Matthew 25 and then Luke 
16. All right. So then the third question that you need to ask yourself is this. Am I faithful in the little things in my life? So firstly, am I, center, am I in the center of God's will? Secondly, am I actively involved and faithful in the work of the Lord? And thirdly, am I faithful in the little things in my life? Matthew 25, 21. Okay, so God introduces this premise here where he has the uh, parable of the talents, um, which is a great picture of something that he's actually going to be doing in the future. But devotionally, we're going to talk about this. Verse 21, And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of, the, of thy Lord. See, this is God's pattern. God will never give you more if you are not faithful with what you have. This is a basic biblical principle. Go to Luke 16. It says the exact same thing, but just in a slightly different way. Luke 16. God will never give you more if you are not faithful with what you have. And here's why. He gives you the reason right here in Luke 16.10. Luke 16.10. Someone read that one. Luke 16.10. Go ahead, Sam. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful, faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is in unjust also in much. Okay. So based on that right there, because that's the reason why, tell me in your own words, why will God not entrust with you more until you're faithful with what you have? You need to, you can read that verse again. It's right in front of your face. Luke 16, 10. <laughs> if you can't handle the small things, how will you ever handle anything else? Yeah. So let me ask you a question. How do you know how to drive stick? <laughs> okay, there's a few. Yeah, like st- yeah, stick shift. Yeah, like clutch. Stick switch. <laughs> I don't know. I've never driven a stick switch before, but stick shift. Yeah. Have any of you ever tried? Okay but just not been successful? Okay, all right. But when it comes to driving automatic, how many of you have even driven automatic, even if it was illegal? Okay, (laughs) all right, all right, okay, okay. So here's the thing, the thing about from a driving perspective. Okay, there's a reason why they want you to have hours in the car and the reason why they want you to have hours in the classroom, even though sometimes you feel like it's a giant waste of time, and frankly, it is. But there are some benefits to it, okay? So as you're in the passenger seat, and you're asking questions with the person that's driving. You should be asking questions about, well, what about this? Or what about that? Or what about that? Like, Lily's already starting to ask me tons of questions about driving because she's already looking forward to drive, which I'm like, I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> but anyway, but as a good passenger, you'll be observant about the things that the driver is doing so that when it's your turn behind the wheel, it's a weird experience the first time you've done it. It's not the same. It's not the same. But then you start to get the feel for it of being more observant and looking around. But being a passenger is not the same as being a driver. So being a good passenger does not mean that you're going to be a good driver necessarily. But if you're asking questions, you're being very observant, then you're going to be ahead of the game. But you need practice to get into it. And then throw into the mix driving a stick shift. That clutch and trying to go up a hill is very, very difficult. It's fun. I love it. I love driving stick personally. It took me a while and I have some bad experiences behind it. But you need to get the, the experience behind you. Now, if you don't know how to drive stick, let's say someone's rolled up to your house and they were driving a, I don't know, a Porsche. Okay? 
Now, stick is standard with a Porsche for the most part when it comes to the sports cars. And they're like, yeah, go ahead. We can do it, McLaren. Yeah, go ahead. Just go ahead. Hop in, take it for a spin. You're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. But if you don't know how to drive stick, I'm not going to give you that responsibility. There's no way. I mean, that dude would have to be insane. Yeah, or really, yeah, and they don't really care what happens to the car. And if that's the case, they have other problems. But anyway, like there's no way. There's absolutely no way. And that's just with carnal things. So here's the thing. In your heart, don't, don't answer this question, but in your heart, do you want to live a life that honors God? Do you want to be a person that God can trust? Do you want to be a person that God could come to you one day and say, hey, there's no one that's willing to do this job and I need someone to do it. Are you willing to do it? Because deep down in my heart, that is a deep desire that I have. And I've had it for a long time. And I remember there was a day that I was driving down the road, and I think I was heading to work one day back before I was married and I was still living at home. And I remember having a conversation with God where it hit me, and it hit me hard. And I, and I prayed to God, and I remember, and I prayed, God, I want to be a man that you can trust. I want you to be a man that, that you could ask me to do anything, and you could trust me to do it. Well, if that's the case, then... I better prove myself trustworthy. What has God given you now? And so let me just give you some examples here. So when it comes to praying or your Bible reading or your Bible studying, are you faithful to do that? Why would God call you to minister his word to others when you're not in the word yourself? Now, does he want you to minister the word to others? Absolutely. But if you're not willing to put in the self-discipline to get into God's word and to hear his heart and to know his mind, how are you going to be able to minister properly? You're not going to be able to. Secondly, discipleship tasks. So let's say you're in a current discipleship relationship and the person that is your discipler says, hey, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. Are you faithful to do it? Or do you show up at the next discipleship meeting and you're like, ah, I'm sorry, I just didn't have time during the week, or, oh, I forgot, or, man, we should have memorized those verses. I keep struggling memorizing. Ah, oh. okay. <laughs> I mean, these are simple tasks that they've been given to you, and it's your responsibility to fulfill them. Have you done that? Or what about homework <gasps> and other schoolwork? I know, right? There's many of you, many of you that you pull the P word, procrastinate. Yes. <laughs> procrastination where you will wait till the very last minute to do an assignment or to study for that test. Okay. So here's the thing. Is that being faithful? Let's just be honest. Is it being faithful? No, it is not. And if you just so happen to get a decent grade and you're like, thanks God for helping me pass that test. And God's like, listen, I didn't have anything to do with it. Frankly, you could have gotten a much better grade if you had put more time in than what you got. All right, so just to let you know, that's how, that, that's how that works out. Pull back the curtain, that's the conversation. Okay, all right, what about this one? Chores and responsibilities around your home. Oh, ouch. These are a lot of kidney shots. I'm sorry. I know, I'm sorry. It's not me, it's God. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but, but think about this. Like, if God, if God who has given you your parents... If, if you can't accomplish a chore or a task that your parents have given you and God sees that and says, I have put these parents over you and I'm watching how you are acting towards your parents 
and even the things that you're obeying or disobeying. And God sees that and he's like, how can I, if you're not willing to do this, how can I trust you with this over here? Okay, next one, because that one hurts a lot. A job responsibility. So if you are employed by somebody else, which shamefully, many people are a lot more faithful in their jobs than they are in their own homes. But when it comes to job responsibilities, can your boss count on you to actually get the job done and to do it well, not just do the bare minimum? Or what about spending money? Are you faithful with your money? Or are you very reckless with your money? Or what about your personal time? Are you faithful in the little things? Now, why would you think the little things matter? They do. They do. The little things always lead to the big things. Always. Always. And if you're not going to be faithful in the little things, you're not going to be faithful in the big things. So you can start working on some of this stuff right now. Right now. All right. And then lastly, based on all those questions, and this is a great one to start considering yourself, am I attracted to someone that is in the center of God's will? Am I attracted to someone that is actively involved and faithful in the work of the Lord? And am I attracted to the, to the person that is faithful in the little things in their life? Because you should be. You should be. Because generally what you are attracted to is going to be, I mean, it's what you get, but it's what you value. And so if you don't value these things, then you're going to be attracted to the wrong things. So these are just great, some, some great introspective questions to ask yourself. And let's end with Solomon. Go to 1 Kings 11. 1 Kings 11. So we looked at David, and I want to look at Solomon, his son, at 1 Kings 11, and then we'll end with this paragraph. 1 Kings 11. The reason why this is a big deal is because of what we see in Solomon's life. 1 Kings 11. And um, somebody turn to Deuteronomy 17.17. Who wants that one? You can get take it, Sam. Deuteronomy 17.17. Okay. All right. So 1 Kings 11, verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women. Now, if you were to take that phrase strange women or strange woman or just strange in the Bible and you search that through, you find out that it is always evil, always. It actually talks about in the book of Proverbs, harlots and whores. Um, and you know, it will also bring you about some passages like, um, um, oh, what's the, uh, the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, where they offered strange fire upon the altar unto the Lord and God burned them up. So strange in the Bible is always a bad thing. So you don't want to be strange. Okay. But Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, obviously not of Israel. And of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel. So God already said this. He said, ye shall not go in to them, neither shall ye come in, shall they come in to you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods and Solomon clave unto these in love. Now we're going to continue here in a minute, but listen to Deuteronomy 17, 17. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself that his heart turn not away neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. Okay, so there's two things that God told kings not to do. Number one, do not multiply wives. And what did Solomon do? He multiplied wives. And the second thing he was told not to do was not to multiply silver and gold. And what did Solomon do? He multiplied silver and gold. So those are two very specific commands. Now, why did God say that? Well, here, we just read it in verse 2. 
For they shall surely, they surely, they will turn away your heart after their gods. So they will become idols unto you. And then, verse 3, And he had, Solomon, 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turn away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. So he had face-to-face conversations with God, and he turned away from him to worship these other gods because of his, his wives. And had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it to thy servant. And he continues to explain the consequences of his actions. But the issue here, and this was Solomon's problem, and this is our problem, and especially among guys, this is our problem, when you start loving strange women that God did not tell you to start loving. And the same can be true for you ladies towards other guys. When you start being attracted to things and to people that are not the things that God told you to be attracted to. So if you are not attracted to someone who desires to live in the center of God's will, and if you are not attracted to someone who's actively involved in the work of the Lord and faithful, and if you are not attracted to someone who is faithful in the little things in their life, there's something amiss. There's something not right. So you really need to think about that. Okay, so let's hit this last paragraph. So going back to the very beginning and the most important part of this series, our relationship with God must be our top priority. Our personal relationship with God impacts every other relationship in our life. When our relationship with God is not right, no other relationship will be right, and especially when it comes to dating. As we walk with God daily, we will find ourselves glorifying him by being in the center of his will, actively taking ownership in his work and being faithful in every area of our life, not because it is our duty, because that's what good Christians do, but because we love him. When you live this kind of life, the love for God and his work becomes such a focus, such a focus that you consistently pursue the Lord in all aspects of your life. This focus shapes your character, your values, your habits, your behavior and decisions, and especially your future career and potential spouse. And here's the point that I was getting to. In fact, you may be so busy pursuing God that you will not even be looking for your future spouse and he will have to be the one to introduce you to. I mean, just think about that. You're so busy pursuing God and pleasing God that God would have to interrupt you to say, hey, I want you to marry this person. But oftentimes we do it the other way around. We get very busy with our own life and we try to find someone and then we try to get involved in the work of the Lord. And that's not how it's supposed to work out. And there's some really good verses to look up with that. All right. So this is probably the most important part of all this, but this one's a heavy hitter. It's one that you really need to take some time to really think about. But based on everything we talked about, are there any questions? Okay. All right. Well, if you have any questions, please do not hesitate to ask because this is a very, very important one. All right. Let's go ahead and pray. Who wants to pray? Anybody? Close this out. 
Heavenly Father, it's just want to thank you for this day. Thank you that we get to come to church tonight, Lord, and learn about you and just about relationships. Lord, I pray that we keep you as our number one priority, and then, Lord, uh, you'll keep everything else in line. Um, I pray that we put you first in everything, just in the center of your will, and that we can bring glory to you. Um, I pray that also what we learn from this lesson, Lord, that we take it home and that it, we wouldn't just leave it behind or leave it here, and that we go, go be good examples of you and just shine our lights in the dark world. Pray for the rest of school week, Lord, that we can just be good witnesses of you, Lord, and pray for opportunities and boldness to act upon them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.